Claudia, thank you for being here. And I, it, it, mm-hmm. let's kick it off by having you kind of give us the background of who, who are you? Who is Claudia? Uh, who am I? Well, um, I was born in Albania. So I moved to the States when I was three years old. And um, so I've basically lived here my whole life. Um, grew up in actually Sarasota, Florida, where I am back now. Never thought I'd be back here, but I'm back. <laughs> um, when I was 18, I moved to New York. I wanted to pursue my um, career as a dancer. And so I moved there for five years. And, um, you know, obviously COVID happened and everything. So, um, you know, I'm back in Sarasota, but it's been um, quite the experience. So for listeners that don't know you, Claudia is a dancer extraordinaire and fur mama to the cutest puppy I've seen in all of my adult life. Aww. Hi there. Coach Alex here from A-Team Fitness. Thanks for listening as I share incredible transformation stories directly from the source themselves, the individuals doing the work and seeing the results. We'll take a behind-the-curtain peek at the mental and physical changes that make for amazing transformation. I'm glad you're here. And after the episode, I hope you feel empowered to begin making some transformative changes of your own. Let's dive in. You got to get on Spotify. The inner work. Yeah, I am on Spotify. You're on Spotify? Shows how many episodes you've listened to. <laughs> yeah, it's on, it's on all major podcast platforms. That's awesome. So, you know, <laughs> at three might be a little young, but do you have any <laughs> memories of Albania pre-moving here? I do. Um, I used to go every summer uh, growing up. So I really enjoyed that. I would go for like two months at a time. So um, I was able to see all my cousins, my whole, pretty much my whole family, except for my intermediate families over there. Um, so I have a lot of memories um, growing up and it was, it was really nice. Um, I wish I haven't been back in like, ugh, gosh, like 10 years. So that is my goal actually is this summer to go and visit. So hopefully, hopefully that will happen. That's right around the corner. Yeah, that is right around the corner. We got to plan it out. But yeah. You mentioned moving to New York when you're 18 to pursue dance. At what, when did you start dancing? Like, when did you begin that activity? Um, Well, I started ballet when I was 11. And I met these girls in my ballet class who were doing ballroom at the time. And I'm not, you know... I wish I would have stuck with ballet a little bit longer, but obviously I'm not really a ballerina kind of girl. So, um, you know, I went to my first ballroom class and I fell in love with it. I think that was like maybe like 12 and, um, you know, I think 12 years old is a pretty, um, later age to start dancing. Actually. I think a lot of people start younger, but, um, you know, I fell in love with it right away. And like, after my first class, I just knew that that was the thing that I wanted to do. Um, which is weird, but like in that moment, like I just became obsessed with it. So, yeah. Why, why is it that dancers start so young or in many cases need to start so young? That's always interested me about dancing is kind of like, if you don't start young, you're way behind. 
Yeah. Um, I think it's a lot easier to like learn as uh, when you're younger. I do think that there's pros and cons, obviously, to starting so young. Um, I think a lot of times dancers start young because of parents. So like if parents are trying to get them into activities because they have like a lot of energy, then they'll stick them into dancing. Right. Um, but like my, my parents never like made me dance, you know, um, or even took me to dance class. Actually, I was the one that wanted to go. So it was the other way around. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that it's, there's a lot of pros to starting young too, because I think that, um, you know, you learn a lot of those fundamentals, you learn a lot of discipline from that young age, especially if you have good teachers, but I do think it's hard to sustain it like a long-term career out of it because you kind of sometimes, especially if you are successful when you're young, you sometimes tend to like, you know, fizzle out a little bit as you get older. So, um, Yeah. You know, I know some people who, as kids, did ballet. And the mm-hmm. stories I always hear, particularly of ballet instructors, is how tough they are. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Did you have a similar experience with, when you, the limited experience you had in ballet? I didn't have, like, a super strict teacher. Um, I did start in, like, a very small class. And, um, I mean, she was strict, but she wasn't so intense. Um, I think it was just difficult. I think that doing ballet requires a lot of discipline and focus and um, consistency. And at that age, I didn't really have that. And so, um, yeah. And I also wasn't so great at it too. You know, like, I don't know, like I wasn't like that. I had a friend was who was with me. Who's one of my best friends now who she was really, really good at ballet. So the teacher kind of took to her, you know, and she was like, she had like the classic, you know, body for it, the, you know, look for it, which sounds like kind of bad, but it's the truth. So, um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I can't say that my teacher was so strict, but I, it was just like, yeah. (laughs) Throughout your childhood of dancing, whether it be ballet or ballroom, did you ever have instructors that now in hindsight, looking back, you feel like maybe they forgot they were teaching kids? Mm. no I, I don't think so I think that I've been very fortunate that I've had really good um teachers uh since I was younger um so I d- never thought that they did a bad job um I do think that perhaps like before I moved to New York when I was here in Florida you know I didn't get the fundamental knowledge that I did get when I moved to New York now when I moved to New York I was 18, which that's to me when I really started to learn how to uh, dance, quote unquote, like Latin American dancing, which is what I do. So I really was learning from the best of the best. And I really feel like that's when I started to develop my fundamentals. Um, I wish I would have gotten a little bit more of that sooner. I would have, yeah, sooner than that. So, but I do think that that just, you know, I, I, that's why I went there. I went there for that expertise. So, but yeah. And that's a really interesting story. I remember when I first met you in person in at the Ohio star ball and it was between mm-hmm. competitions and I was sitting at lunch with you and Ron and we were talking about past and history and, and whatnot. And you kind of shared that story 
which is really like, which I'll have you share it in a moment, but for listeners, it's like a quintessential New York story. Tell us a little bit about it, moving there at 18. Um, It was really weird. You know, it's just like when I think back to it sometimes of like how that all unfolded, it kind of baffles me even like I'm kind of like, wow, like I I can't believe I really did that. Um, Especially now being a little bit older, you know, you kind of like see things and you're like, whoa, you know, and also on my mom's end, like, I don't know if I would have let my 18 year old daughter move across the country um, at 18. But basically, um, after I graduated, I really was set on developing my dancing. So it was a kind of a dream of mine to go to New York for a long time. Um, I had never been to New York prior to moving there. (laughs) So um, never stepped foot there or anything like that. Um, So really, what happened was, I think it was like January of 2017 or something like that. Um, I decided to go um, make a trip to New York and just see it for a week, just to make sure that like, that was, you know, where I wanted to be. So I went and um, I decided like right there. And then that that was the place for me. And I came back to Florida and within a couple of weeks, I just kind of like packed my bags and, uh, went there and I, um, had a roommate luckily, um, which was one of my best friends. Um, she offered me a space in her apartment, um, while I kind of got settled in. So I was lucky to have that because I don't know, I don't know if I didn't know, uh, her, if I would have had like a good situation there, I was able to like live in one of the best uh, cities in Brooklyn in Williamsburg, which is like super fancy schmancy. Um, and so I like lived in this little room with her, um, well at her apartment. Um, so yeah. And I kind of just got set up there and the rest is history. (laughs) Was there ever a point when you moved there where the reality started to set in of it was very much like everything was on the line? Hmm. Um. I feel like when I was eighteen, I was like very ignorant and like kind of like just like, woo, freedom, New York, you know. And so, uh, the first year of being there was probably, and I still say this, probably one of the best years of like my life so far because I felt like I didn't have any like limitations. I just had this passion. I wanted to become a great dancer and I wanted to live in New York and I wanted to do all the New York things. So I feel like that year was really good because I just experienced it, you know, and, you know, I didn't have a lot of financial support from my family because they just couldn't afford it. So my mom would help me a little bit, um, you know, with my rent and stuff like that the first year, but um, it just, like I, I didn't feel the pressures of New York yet. You know, I kind of was like, my mom was helping me a little bit. You know, I was like, I knew I was going to get through it at some point, but I think the, after the first year set in, I think around the second year, the reality started to kind of set in and you realize like, Oh my gosh, like, uh, <laughs> don't really have a lot of money. <laughs> you know, um, I don't, um, 
you know, it's really, really difficult to afford rent and lessons and food and this and all of that started to kind of become a reality for me. Like, oh my gosh, like, okay, what is the future in being here? Because I'm struggling, you know, but the first year I didn't feel it at all, you know, just kind of like, yeah, I'll figure it out. You know, me being me. Um, so yeah, I think, yeah, the reality set in a lot later. <laughs> so, uh, so especially after that first year, which sounds like that first year in New York was the fantasy was still alive. Oh yeah. So once the reality of like having to support yourself and actually like exist in New York, how did you then at that point find ways to support yourself? So actually the first year that I did move there, you know, I wasn't, I mean, I think for the first couple of months I was just at home, you know, kind of like, okay, like what am I doing here? Um, but I, I did have to, of course, come up with a resume and go and go to every single like restaurant in Williamsburg, in Manhattan. Well, not every single, obviously there's a lot, but like I went to a lot of them and I just gave my resume out. I looked for work. And so I ended up for about like a year and a half or two years, even I was working as a hostess at a restaurant. Um, that was like a short-term thing. And then I was actually a barista at a coffee, uh, spot in New York, um, called the bean. And it was really, actually really, really fun. Uh, it was stressful, but very fun. Um, so I, I couldn't actually teach dancing when I first moved because really no one knew who I was. And, um, in New York, there are a lot of dance teachers. So especially if you're not really anyone, it's kind of hard to like, um, get work unless you like go work for like a Fred Astaire or something like that. So I just did that to make ends meet. But of course, you know, it's like you're in New York, right? So like that kind of, you need a lot more money than that, <laughs> you know? So. But nevertheless, you know, living with your friend in her apartment, pursuing your dancing dreams, working as a barista in New York, like that seems like the quintessential New York experience. Like that could be for sure a TV show or a movie or whatever. <laughs> uh, for yeah. my own personal curiosity, and this may <laughs> be, I know this was uh, long enough back that it may have been before kind of the craze and as a barista, did you ever have to make the designs and lattes? <laughs> I never got to do that because I think that that, like, I think you actually have to like train to do that or like learn how to do that. And no one was teaching us. And to be really honest, the last thing I wanted to do was design someone's coffee when they're yelling at me to hurry up. <laughs> like mornings in New York are insane. Like yeah. when people rush in and it's like, 7 a.m., 8 a.m., like, but like they don't care about their design on their coffee. They just want their coffee. <laughs> so, yeah. But no, I wish I would have, though. That would have been really cool. Because I'm trying <laughs> to figure it out. We have a, a, an espresso maker now, and Katrina loves <laughs> making lattes. And for the life of us, we cannot figure it out. You can't figure it Did you? You got to YouTube it. I'll have to try that next. <laughs> Uh, let me know uh, how it goes. I will. <laughs> we, yeah. <laughs> now, you know, uh, I hear, I've personally never been to New York, but I hear from many people about the energy of the city, right? It's a place that's very hustle and bustle. Everyone's there 
trying to accomplish something, they're chasing their dreams or, you know, they're working towards something and it's very go, go, go. I hear. Did you kind of experience that energy while you lived there? Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing that was a little bizarre to me was that like, no one says hi to you. (laughs) Like growing up and here in Sarasota, um, you know, you go on your morning walks or you, you know, and everyone's like, hi, hi. You know, everyone's very positive, warm in New York. Like no one looks at you. No one cares. Everyone's kind of just like going about their day and getting their stuff done, which I kind of liked. Actually, I felt like kind of like, okay, I have my own thing going on, you know, don't disrupt me. I kind of like developed this kind of feeling as well. Um, But yeah, I think at the time, New York was just the energy of just the city, like in the morning, people going to work, always, there's always people, you know, everywhere. And at any corner you look, it's just people like taking their coffee breaks from their office jobs or going to work out or going out to dinner with friends. And there was always this energy and it was young people energy. So it's like, you know, you have so many people in their twenties and their thirties, so you can relate a lot to them. So, and it's very different from here, obviously here is like, you know, older, older, more older people. Right. So the energy is just not the same, but, um, there it was. And, and, um, there's something to say about that energy. I think that it's kind of hard to describe it, but when you're there, you understand it and it motivates you, um, and makes you feel a part of something. Um, but I, I, I do think having a step back from New York these last couple years, two years now, Um, I see it a little different. Um, I do find that the energy is rather negative. Um, You know, maybe after COVID, it's been like that. But the last few times that I've been up there, I just feel a little bit um, not the same. And I'm not sure if it's because I stepped outside of that bubble and looking at it now. Um, But yeah, I think, you know, at the time, that's what I, I really, I felt. So fair enough. What sparked your love of dance to begin with? Well, I started that first dance class and I really loved it. Um, I think after that, I was very much watching a lot of videos of, um, you know, top dancers at the time. And um, it just kind of like grew on me. Like I just, I kept um, envisioning like being like them one day and dancing like them. So I, you know, I watched a lot of videos. I watched a lot of videos. You know, there's, there's obviously a difference between having a passion for dance and learning how to dance and then taking that and going out and competing. (laughs) What bridged the gap for you to the competition side of dancing? Again, you know, I watched a lot of competition videos, so I felt like that was where I wanted to be. You know, I feel like all the people that were super successful and what I wanted to do, they were great competitors and, you know, not necessarily have to win every competition, but like the legendary dancers, they were competitors, you know? Um, so yeah, I, I would say that the competition aspect, I started a lot later because I couldn't find a partner. So it's been very, it was very difficult and still is something that, um, is challenging, Um, but yeah, I, I just kind of felt like that was where the, where the path was. (laughs) 
So. Dan, you know, dance is one of those interesting, and especially the sport of dancing is very interesting in the fact that it does require two people to be <laughs> not just the physical aspect of being coordinated and, and having the, the routine down, but mentally being committed on the same level and being able to, to delicately balance that for the demands of the sport is something that I've always found super interesting and probably in my opinion, from the outside looking in what seems like the most difficult part of it. Yeah, I agree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, because it, it really does take two people. And so I kind of think about it, like when you're finding a dance partner, you're finding, um, you know, not just someone that you're physically connected to well, but mentally um, you're on the same page because you could find someone that's a great dancer. There's so many of them, but if, if the mindset doesn't match yours, if the, you know, you're not getting along so well, it won't work out, you know? Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a, it's like a marriage, you know, there's a lot of things that go into it. So, yeah, I think that's probably the hardest thing about what we do is having that other person involved, but also probably the best thing that we do because we get to dance with another person, um, you know, and have that, that ability. And I think that's super special. So. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I have to imagine too, what, what makes it interesting is the, just the sheer amount of time that you spend mm-hmm. with your partner. Cause your schedule as a competitor is really demanding. Like, so yeah. I guess start by telling us what that looks like. What does a typical day look like in the schedule mm-hmm. of someone who's dancing for a living? Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you did mention that oh, you spend a lot of time with your partner. So it really depends on if you're also like with your partner, um, you know, uh, if you're dating your partner or living with your partner too, then there's that whole other level. But um, yeah, I think it's um, so during my day. <laughs> so my day starts off. Um, I, you know, I wake up, wait, hold on. Redo. <laughs> uh, a day in the life of Claudia. So there's a lot that goes on because <laughs> I'm not just teaching or not just dancing. I'm also teaching. So, um, basically Um, We usually kind of coordinate our practices um, either before or after uh, I teach. Ron and I kind of have both different jobs. So, um, you know, we usually try to plan around that. So we'll start off the day maybe with like two to three hours of practice. Um, And then, you know, a little break, hopefully maybe even get the gym in as well because there's that aspect of it too. And then I have like the whole evening where I teach. So physically I'm like constantly doing something all day. Um, and the practices, again, it depends on the day and what kind of practice we're having, but we do two to three hours a day, um, five days a week. So, um, yeah. That is a lot of movement. So you're dancing, you're practicing, you're dancing multiple hours, most days out of the week. When you're not doing that, you're teaching dance lessons. So you're still on your feet essentially, albeit a little less rigorously. And then finding time for your own kind of fitness routine and also trying to, you know, live a normal life outside of that. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> it's quite the juggling, too. right? Yeah, it it really is. Yeah. And so, speaking of which, what role does fitness play in all of it for you? A huge role, and I think that um, I wish I would have. Um, started with that a little bit sooner. I think when I like when I moved to New York and I took that more seriously, I didn't realize how important that was. You know, I do think it's very, very important that you're practicing your dancing and you're getting your stamina also through dancing. Right. I think that that's very unique. And I think that nothing quite feels like dancing your rounds, (laughs) you know, but um, I do think that the fitness really does help supplement that and uh, on all different levels, especially on a mental level. I think it just gives you so much more of an edge. So yeah, I think it's very important. And, and you mentioned something that's really interesting, which is I think a lot of dancers, especially a lot of high level dancers who for all intents and purposes are in really good shape. Mm-hmm. Dancing is very intense, right? It's, it's, it's really comparable in my eyes to a sort of interval training, right? Each dance, which there are five of in a typical round, they're about 90 seconds-ish long, very high intensity, mm-hmm. very short rest periods. And you have to have the endurance and the stamina to perform at that high level, but also make it look easy and effortless. Yes. Right? And so I know a lot of competitors fall into the trap of thinking that just doing the dancing is enough to to do all that which is true to some degree you're right and in fitness in coaching we call this the principle of specificity which is if we want to get better at an activity we got to do the actual activity itself Mm -hmm. like getting stronger in a squat isn't going to get us stronger in a bench press necessarily true nearly as much as doing a bench press will get us stronger at a bench press Mm -hmm. Right, And that's the interesting thing that I see about fitness is the ability, you know, as I I mentioned, the rounds are very comparable to like a sort of interval training, but just doing interval training, like sprints is not Mm -hmm. necessarily going to give you the same benefit in rounds as doing the rounds at a high intensity. Right. But what I think a lot of people neglect is doing the interval training outside of dance can then build a better foundation that you can take to then do better practice rounds, which will then make you better at rounds. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a hundred percent it. And, and I think the reason why it is different too, is like running on a treadmill versus like doing your rounds is that you're involving your whole body in the dance movement. Right. So it's not necessarily the same, but I do think that that it really does help, you know, it's not the exact same, but it does really, really do help. Yeah. And what about the strength training? You know, you and I have, I've obviously worked in building mm-hmm. a strength routine for yourself in many ways, mm-hmm. similar to what we just talked about to support the dancing. Mm-hmm. And what ways do you, have you experienced or do you see the benefit of that strength training for what you're doing? I think um, strength training is very important too. I think it's like the same thing that we just talked about with the running. Um, I think that that makes a difference. Um, You know, I think also in terms of look wise as well on the dance floor, I think that that adds uh, another um, plus. (laughs) So, um, you know, getting toned and having a specific body look um, on the floor. I think that's important as well. Right. 
the aesthetics are important in what we do. So I think that that helps in that as well. Um, yeah. I know in general, particularly women, a lot of women will avoid strength training for fear of building a lot of muscle and looking bulky. And I'm sure this is true of many female dancers who want the look, but are afraid to get too bulky. And so mm -hmm. do you have any thoughts on that, given your experience lifting weight? Mm -hmm. I, I don't know why that's like people think of it that way. I really don't think that that's how it works. Right. And I think that you would get bulky if you were like lifting really, really heavy weights and eating a lot, you know? Um, and I think, I mean, a lot of people don't do their research. Right. So I, I would assume that that would be the thing, but I, I don't think that at all, you know, and that's why I think, you know, you'll get a coach too, to help balance everything out and understand like what kind of things that you need to do based on what it is that you're, looking for in your own body goals. Right. And so that wasn't my experience at all, actually. Um, so I think that you can lean out more and, you know, um, get more of the look that you're looking for by lifting weights. Um, so, yeah. And would you say that that is the experience you've had in terms of the transfer from your weight training to the dance floor? Yeah. Definitely. Definitely. And I think that the really hard part about it is to be consistent with it, especially when you're dancing so much. And that's what, you know, when it was COVID times and I didn't have so much dancing, I felt like I could really be so consistent with it. Um, so I think the harder part is, is maintaining it to while you're dancing. Right. Um, cause I, I really do think that that, um, uh, changes a lot of things. So is there any important insight into what's important to maintain that strength routine in the midst of the busy day-to-day -day schedule of practice and lessons? And mm -hmm. I wish I would say I'd figure it all out. I, I don't, I, I really try um, to do it. And I, you know, like last night I felt like motivated and I went to the gym at like nine 30 PM, you know? So like, I think that it's one of those things where you really do have to be very disciplined and kind of just create time in your schedule for it and make sure it happens. Um, I think it just requires a lot of that discipline really. So, um, but I think it's so important. I really do. And I, and I myself want to do even more of it, you know? So I think finding that balance and making sure that you create more time um, for it is, is very important. Yeah. Making it a priority in this. Yeah. 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 And again, and I, I also think too, I think that a lot of people think that in order to get results that you have to be going every single day to the gym or something like that. And I think what I've learned is that it's better to go, you know, even if it's twice a week or, you know, instead of doing an hour session, like we've talked about do 30 minutes, um, because ultimately I think that the little things add up over time and that's when you'll really start to see those results, you know, cause it's so easy. I think even personally to be like, well, I didn't have time for the gym, um, for the last two days. What's the point of me going now, you know, type of thing, but it's the little things that add up, um, over time. Yeah, so. absolutely. And you know, it's, 
it's a conversation that I have, particularly with new dancers that I work with frequently when we're discussing what the schedule is going to look like, how we're going to integrate their workouts. And in fact, you and I might've had this conversation the first time that we chatted about it, which mm-hmm. is a lot of dancers, whether they've worked with a coach previously or not, often come into it thinking very similarly, I got to go to the gym five days a week. I got to go six days a week. I have to hit it every single day in order to see those results. And we end up discussing the sustainability of that when they're practicing for multiple hours every single day. And then they're still on their feet. Many of them who teach dance outside of it, similar to you are on their feet teaching and moving Mm -hmm. and trying to juggle all those things and coming to the realization that we have to be very strategic about the strength and where it fits in because there's too much accumulation of fatigue and too much exhaustion that can come from burning the candle at both ends. If you're constantly practicing and you're constantly in the gym lifting, there's literally no time for your body to recover. And then you open yourself up for burnout and for injury risk and all of those things. Mm -hmm. And the realization for a lot of dancers that I've talked to is for many of them, less is actually more when it comes to being in the gym. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think that like an important point that you brought up is the fatigue, right? Because we would all like to think, especially me, that I'm like superhuman and like, yeah, everything sounds great in theory. Right. It's like, yeah, I can go to the gym six days a week and do this and that and that. But the reality is that your body does you know, it, it catches up to you and you really do feel it. And it's sometimes when you're in it, you don't realize how difficult it really is, you know? So, and that's why I think it's like having someone like you where you can talk to someone about that and having, um, you know, someone adapt things for you would be great. Sorry. What's up, Ollie? What's up, Ollie? <laughs> Sorry. Are you okay? Are you okay? I'm in the middle of, a, of an interview over here. He's crying. He's feeling lonely. I'm sorry. Um, Ron, can you um, do something about your son? Okay, he's acting all weird. Ollie. Okay. All right. Where were we? But you're right. Having someone to kind of help you keep things in perspective and keep things manageable. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's interesting, the difference in what you're right. A lot of dancers are very driven, very motivated, very internally motivated. And how frequently for me, the support that I will give is a simple phone call saying, Claudia, I need you to chill out a little bit. (laughs) Let's take a day off. Let's relax. Let's not yeah. go all in today. Yes. Yeah. I think that's really hard to hear that, but I think that that's something sometimes what you need to hear. Absolutely. Um, I'm curious to know, you know, you mentioned wanting a particular look on the dance floor and even in reference to the ballet, your friend having the typical look that a ballet dancer would have. And I've always found it unique about dancing that it's this interesting integration of aesthetics and performance. Mm -hmm. There's a high level of output that's required, very high intensity activity. 
But then unlike other, if you think of traditional sports, football, baseball, basketball, tennis, like all of those sports where it's a very high level of intensity, there's no aesthetic component. No one cares what a football player looks like, right? Mm-hmm. In a dance, that's not true. There is that aesthetic component. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, is, are there any in your experience, whether even now or especially when you were younger, were there any standards or expectations that may have influenced your views on food and fitness? Yes, definitely. This is a very big topic, I think, for for dancing. Um, you know, and, and one thing that I do want to say is that I we don't dance ballet, right? So ballet is one thing, and there's like stereotypes and stuff like that about that. Um, um, we dance Latin American dancing, right? So if you go to like Cuba or you go to these places, like you know, a typical Latin woman, not all obviously, but they do have curves, you know, um, there's nothing wrong with it, you know, at all. And I, I wish actually to some extent that our industry was more, um, okay with, with people who, who are curvier, who, you know, people want to say they are, but they're not really because somehow on the competition floor, when there's all these, you know, really, really, um, I don't want to say thin, but like, yeah, like very, very um, lean dancers. It's difficult then to sometimes look at someone who might not be in the same kind of shape, right? Um, From a judging perspective, I don't know. I think that there's this like look that people look for more or less, right? Um, So yeah, I think that a big part of being a dancer, um, unfortunately, in some ways is the aesthetic. And I think that it's very difficult um, when you're young to hear that. And this is where I think it's really, really important because, you know, my, my teachers, when I, when I went uh, to New York, you know, that was one of the first things that was asked of me was to, um, to lose weight, you know, and to be lean for the competition floor, because that's what, what is expected. Right. And as a young person, you don't really, think much about it. And you think that the only answer is to like starve yourself. Right. Um, and that's kind of what I did more or less. I wasn't starving myself, but I was eating very, very little. And at the time I wish I would have, uh, you know, asked for some help somewhere, you know, or gotten a coach. Um, but I was young. I couldn't afford it first of all, but second of all, I didn't really have someone telling me like, that's what you should do. I just kind of was like, okay, let's go on YouTube and see, you know, what's the fastest way to lose 10 pounds and do that. And so, um, and I would do it like, cause I am determined, you know, I would do some crazy stuff and I would drop weight and I would like, you know, and then, and then I'd like be so confused because like three weeks later I'd be back up to like where I was and I'm like, huh, how does this work? You know? So basically it, I think it's a big thing. And I think that, um, people have to be very, very careful with how they, talk about it and how they, um, especially with young dancers, how they, you know, say that information. And I think that one of those things is not like you need to lose weight, but perhaps even saying like, you know what, maybe you can be a little bit more fit. Maybe you can, you know, um, go work out a little bit more. Maybe you can, you know, make sure you're eating healthy, just encouraging things from a different standpoint, instead of like, you need to drop 10 pounds. You know what I mean? So, 
Yeah. It's something that I've seen in the fitness space um, too, which is oftentimes I think a lot of coaches, especially new coaches, will mistake the advice that they're giving as being not very serious in the sense mm-hmm. of, oh, we're only talking about weight loss. Mm-hmm. Or we're only talking about exercise. It's not, they don't deem it as this type of advice that's has very real serious implications down the line. When the reality is that advice that you give someone who either is coming from a certain experience with food and fitness, or maybe, and potentially even more damaging, they have no experience. They're a blank slate. Mm-hmm. And advice is being written in stone in their psyche. Mm-hmm. Um, this is how they should think about themselves. Now, those thoughts of needing to lose weight, self-worth being tied to that, success being tied to that suddenly bleeds into as they continue on, if it's not checked and challenged. Oh, yeah. Bleeds into every other part of their life. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. I think once you hear that and you feel like, okay, well, I can't be successful because of this. Um aspect it's difficult and it's difficult to hear that when you're really young you know what i mean so um i think people have to be careful how they say things but at the same time i do think that also just based off of like previous generations like i'm talking about dancers i don't know about you know other uh, other things but um you know they would do that you know that's how they would diet back in the day they would like eat like uh, rice and tuna or eggs and um that was it you know and and that was like their diet back then if they wanted to lose some weight they'd do that and so like in a way it's it's not because of someone you know being malicious but it's more like that's how they did it you know, they don't really know. And I think nowadays we're so lucky because we have the ability to have coaches and do virtual uh, meetings with them. You know, you don't even have to be in the same state, you know, um, you have all these opportunities that you can use, um, which I think back then they did not you know, they didn't have all this stuff that we have. So I think with times changing, you know, the approach has to be different. Absolutely. Now, when we first met and we first had a conversation about what you wanted to achieve, what your program at the time looked like, what kind of the way you had been doing things, when Mm -hmm. we started to talk about nutrition and how in this program, the nutrition coaching works and the approach that we take to just generally thinking about food, did it feel very different than what you were used to or what you were expecting maybe? Yeah. Um, I think that before I never realized like the importance of, um, kind of like macros and like your ratios, like protein and all that stuff. So I think having to just be aware of that much more and realizing kind of like how important it was to, how do I say this? (laughs) I don't even know how to say it. <laughs> uh, hold on. Let me rephrase this. Yes, it is very important. Ask the question again. <laughs> what, when, when we first talked about the approach to nutrition that, that we take here, was it, did it feel or stand out as very different of a different way of, of thinking about losing weight, managing our eating, getting strong? 
Yes. Yes. And I think that's to do with like counting your macros and stuff like that, which I had no idea about before, really. You know, um, I think the biggest thing to my surprise was like, oh, like I can have bread and not gain weight type of thing. You know, it's like, or I can eat something that maybe is like, I don't know, like an Oreo or something. Right. And how do I, how can I still have that sometimes and like not gain weight and, and all of that stuff. So I think the, the approach of like balancing that out and understanding how exactly food works and how working out is also intertwined to that. I think that's the biggest thing that um, I learned, which it's really um, kind of like sets you free in a way, because you realize that if you do that, it's really kind of that simple. Like you don't really have to, I mean, it's not easy. I'm not saying that because you do have to make sure that you're sticking with things and you're disciplined with tracking and such. But I think if you, you know, um, you kind of learn that you have more freedom than you think in a way. So. Absolutely. It's very much, you know, the, just like in, in generations past of dancers, there was a particular way that they did things and that's all that was known. And just like same thing with fitness and with fitness coaching and fitness advice is there's always been a way of doing things. And it was those particular diets. It was the cut out all the carbs and the bread. It was cut out all the fat. It was, you know, any number of the different diets that are out there. And in many ways, I feel like people have just been led to believe that that is all that there is, is there's this perfect thing that's going to work for me, or they're all nonsense. And there's only one that actually works. And that's the one that everyone (laughs) should do. Mm -hmm. When in reality, they're kind of all on a superficial level, attempting to accomplish the same things. Mm -hmm. And so it's the realization that we can get rid of all of that fluff and all of that confusion and all the contradiction, and we can reduce it down to the stuff that actually matters. Mm -hmm. And if we learn how to manipulate those variables, right, the calories, the macros, sometimes regardless of where they come from in terms of the actual foods that we're choosing, we free ourselves of all those expectations. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think like, exactly. You get more freedom through doing it really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And do you think that, you know, some of your previous experiences with views around food and all of that, and now having this new approach of tracking and thinking about nutrition and the frameworks that you've been given that you feel as you said, kind of a sense of relief. Yeah, definitely. And I think that I find it very much that like the balls in my court, you know, if I want to, to get leaner or whatever, I kind of feel like I have like the formula to do it in a way. Like it's like, and like, okay, like I understand like, yeah, there, there is um, a discipline behind it. There is like a sacrifice behind it and you've got to be consistent but I don't feel like it's this like mysterious thing. Like, how do I lose weight and keep it off, you know, type of thing. It's kind of like, okay, like it really is very quite simple in a way. So I think that's a huge relief, especially with someone who was struggling with it for so many years and just like constantly yo-yoing, but like between just like dropping 10 pounds, gaining 10 dropping five, gaining 15, like, just like, just randomness. Um, it's a huge relief. So 
How does it feel or in, in what other ways would you describe the Claudia of today being different than the 18 year old Claudia naively moving to New York? <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, I think less ignorant. I think just kind of like more informed about life and in a way, um, I try to keep a little bit of that same Claudia from before, because I think that there's a beauty in kind of just always believing in your dreams and kind of being like, you know, like, I don't know how it's going to happen, but I I know it will type of thing. Um, Because sometimes if you're too realistic, um, you know, you end up kind of crushing your dreams in a way, you know, like you have to have that balance. So I think I've learned a lot through my experience over the last few years, and I'm sure I have so much more to learn. So um, I definitely think that plus side now is I feel like I'm much more educated and I feel like I have a lot of tools um, that I can use and experiences. And I feel like that's going to always be the case moving forward. You said something really interesting that I want to touch on, which is this idea idea of naive optimism. Mm hmm. Right. Which I know exactly what you mean when, you know, I started my company when I was 23 years old. Wow. To a month and a half before I turned 24. And I had obviously at 23, I had only been a coach for a year. So I only had a year experience in the field mm-hmm. in its entirety. And I was 23 and I had no idea how to operate or run a business. Again, mm-hmm. like, but very similarly, there was that little bit of that naive optimism, naive in the sense of I had no idea the challenges that were still to come, that I would have to figure out solutions. For. Yeah. But optimistic in the sense of, I think this could be a good thing. I think it could yeah. be well. Yeah. And, and that's right. so important. It is. Because without Otherwise, that, you wouldn't, it wouldn't work. <laughs> you would never try. Nope. I mean, I think there's something, I don't know how you feel about it, but I really believe in the law of attraction. And so, um, you know, kind of manifesting things. And I think that obviously you can't just sit there and dream about it, right? You have to be actively doing something, but like, I even have a vision board. I don't know if you have one of those, but I, I have that in my room. So I kind of like, I have pictures on there of things that I would like to achieve in my life. And like my dreams, you know, some of the wildest stuff there, you know, that I don't know if will ever be possible, but it's there. And, you know, if you really um, kind of believe in it and then take some active steps to, to get there, I really do think that there is a way always. So. And and when you're talking of law of attraction and you speak about action, I love to hear that Mm because, you know, a lot of people think of like lucky breaks, right? That person Mm -hmm. got a lucky break or they were in the right place at the right time. And what I think a lot of people fail to realize is luck is just the outcome of consistent action that creates more chances for serendipitous mm-hmm. opportunity. Yeah. Like the more action you take, the more you're putting your effort out into the world, the more you're networking and meeting new people, the more opportunities you create to be at the right place at the right time. Yes. And I think that is where that law of attraction comes into play, right? The more actions you're putting out there, the more chances you have to get lucky. For sure. For sure. I I think that's a a big thing. And I think that 
though you you have to have that initial vision and you have to believe that it's possible you know because i feel like what that's what i was saying and i think that if you become too like realistic in a sense i don't know what the right word is but kind of like ah, it's not gonna work you know that's too too ambitious you know then it won't <laughs> you know so i think it is important to have that so yeah, yeah. it's interesting I'm, I'm a slight tangent of mine I, you know, there's, there's optimism, there's pessimism, and then there's this kind of in-between realism. And I am actually of the belief that that's not a real thing. Mm -hmm. I think a lot of times when people are being realistic, they're kind Mm -hmm. of disguising their pessimism Mm -hmm. form of like different flavor of like, here are the facts of why it's not going to work. And I think too, a lot of people confuse optimism for this, again, this kind of naive sense of everything's going to work out. There's going to be no problems. There's not going to be any mm-hmm. challenges. Mm-hmm. But in reality, the optimism doesn't preclude understanding that some things just won't work. Mm-hmm. Right. When you look at the facts and you look at, it's like, I know that if I jump out of the window of my second story home, something bad's probably going to happen when I land. Right. Mm-hmm. Being an optimist, which I am, is not mm-hmm. assuming that that's not true. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, yeah. I just know not to do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> um, so, you know, as and I, that came to my mind as you were kind of using the term realistic, which I think you were using it in the sense that a lot of people would think of it of, you know, those goals and those dreams are not realistic. And that being disguised as pessimism, because like, okay, why is it not realistic? Because there's tons of people applying for the same spot. They're all accomplishing the same thing. Well, at the end of the day, somebody has to do it. I think, yeah, I think that's also the hard part about it all is like how to rid yourself of the doubts, because I do think there is something to say when you've had like bad experiences or you haven't gotten your what you would desire you know you start to doubt right sometimes i think it's just very natural thing so if your business isn't going well after putting into uh, two years worth of work you you start to doubt like okay maybe this isn't gonna work you know but i think that that's where that other thing kicks in and you're like you know well wait let me try another approach let me try something else and like really believe that you can get there um and i think that that's very important um, and the funny thing was I was having this conversation, I think yesterday with someone, because I have a student of mine who is, he's a very, very successful guy in what he does in his business. And his wife was there with him too. And she's like, well, he's super, so funny. She's like, he's super optimistic and I'm pessimistic. She like literally said this yesterday. And, um, I think it's interesting because, you know, like, I do think that I think he is optimistic and that's why he's been successful. But I do think that the success also helps him become more optimistic in a way. And it's this like little cycle and it's the same, like in dancing, you know, like when you're a champion already, you will have this feeling, you know, but also to get there, you had to have had a certain thing, but also once you're there, then you, you, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you consistently have it. And then vice versa, like the other way around too, if you're, you know, always getting bad results, you start to believe, okay, you know what? Like I'm that person. Right. So yeah, I think it's this cycle, but I think that, yeah, I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, it does because our, our beliefs and our actions are not mutually exclusive. 
Mm-hmm. Our beliefs will guide what our actions are. So if we don't believe that we can accomplish something, we will not be doing the behaviors that will actually get us closer to doing that. Correct. Like somebody who doesn't believe they can be successful at running a business will likely never start one. Right. So by result, they will never run a business because they never tried. Yes. Right. Exactly. Um, And, you know, you mentioned something interesting too about having these dreams and aspirations. And I'm curious for you, how do you keep things into perspective in terms of the journey itself? Obviously with, with dance being a competitive sport, a subjective Mm -hmm. one, nevertheless, where sometimes the results at certain competitions don't always go in your favor or the way you expect. Mm -hmm. And it's really hard because it's a subjective grading system or scoring system to understand exactly why that was sometimes you're kind mm-hmm. of left guessing what what you have to change but all of that aside going through sometimes when you get uh doubts and sometimes when you get results that are not um good or that you don't mm-hmm. you know aren't proud of and mixed in with the times when you are successful how do you how do you enjoy the journey on your way to the I think I'm still figuring that out. I think it's a very difficult thing um, because, you know, you really put in so much um, thought to like how the outcome is going to be. And I think the more that I do this, I realize that really everything is about that moment, that present moment. And I, I think I really had this reality kind of set into when, um, you know, I danced nationals, um, in March and we had a very successful result, and I was very, very happy, of course. But after a few days, I realized like, Oh my gosh, like that's just a memory now. And, um, I won't get that back. I don't know. Like I've always felt this way, but like, I really felt like, okay, wow. And that that's it. Right. So I got this result. I don't not, I don't want to say I felt empty. I felt very happy about this, of course, but I realize it's just, it doesn't define me, right? What makes us who we are is those moments, those memories. And so I think that it's very important to be super present in what you're doing and really think about that moment because you will not get it back. I mean, everything's just a memory in the end of the day. So I think in what we do, it's very difficult because there's so much stress in that moment that it's kind of difficult to really enjoy, but you just have to get that perspective and and understand like you, it's important to really just be in that moment and not think about anything else. And so I can't say I've figured it out because I haven't, I think it's so difficult. Uh, And in my day-to-day life, because we're always thinking about, well, I'm doing this right now because I want to accomplish this in the future. Um, but as that quote goes, like, it's about the journey, not the destination. I think that's, that's very important. Yeah. So. I know it's helpful for me as I conceptualize kind of my own personal journey is mm-hmm. each of those milestones along the way, obviously worth celebrating, but also in turn, it's evidence of the growth as a person that I'm becoming. So yeah. obviously I look forward to what I have as my end goal. But the enjoyment of seeing myself 
get better at these things and grow and become and have different thoughts and, and conceptualize things differently and have these different experiences. And in many ways, looking back and seeing other people who were in the same position I was in all those years ago to really provide context to how far, as I'm sure it is with you too, with young dancers, you see them starting and you kind of, I'm sure can see yourself some of the time. Yeah. And how you think about things and how you move and all that is a great way to kind of ensure that you're not losing, as you said, all of the memories and all of the experiences on the path to where you're going. Definitely. Right. Definitely. And I, and I think that what's also important is that like the results don't define you. I think it is about the experiences and the growth that you really have, um, you know, experienced. And I think that if you can really look at it from that way, you're going to be a lot happier. Right. Um, Cause we always are going to want more. I think that's just like human nature. Right. It's like you win something and then you're going to want something else. You know, you're going to, you have, you got a lot of money or you're going to want more money, you know, <laughs> uh, and so on. So, yeah. Absolutely. With that in mind, speaking of young dancers, what advice would you give to a young woman who might have been in the exact same position you were in when you first started? Mm -hmm. I would say go for it. (laughs) Go for it. Like, just don't have any doubts. Just go full on into what it is that you want. You know, you want to move to another place, go do it. Um, You know, if you want to to win something like work super duper hard for it. Um, and whatever it is that you do, I think the biggest thing is to have passion in it and love it a hundred percent, you know, to just become obsessed with something and do whatever it takes to, to get it. You know, I think that that's really important. Um, and that builds character. Nailed it. Excuse me. Claudia, it was such mm-hmm. a pleasure having you on. Thank you so much. Oh, wait, Ron's here. Ron's here. Wait, he has to make an appearance. There we go. Cameo. Look, breakfast in hand. Hopefully a good healthy breakfast. Thank you. Okay. I thought I was going to come into like a live production, like a live stream. <laughs> We're not that fancy. I was like, Claudia's not ready for that. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in. If you feel inspired by this story, please share it with a friend. If you'd like to book a free discovery call to talk with an A-Team coach, head to the episode description or visit us at ateamfit.com. That's A-T-E-A-M-F-I-T.com. We'll see you again soon. Don't worry, Ron. Well, you'll have your chance on the podcast too. Wait, can I interview you next time? Uh, You know... (laughs) I was just talking to somebody on a coaching call recently and they were like, you know, you interview all these people, but someone needs to interview you. Yeah. What is that about? All right. I'll tell you what, we'll end with, I'll give you one question to ask me. Looks like you had one first. What inspires you the most? And that's a very generic question. (laughs) No, I I mean, I have an answer for you, but I don't want, it's going to sound more dark than it is. So I'm going to say it and then I'm going to clarify you'll understand what I mean when I say it. My biggest inspiration to drive and be ambitious and push and grow my business and help people. And and again, along the journey, become the person that I'm becoming 
is being so opposite of who I was when I was younger. And in mm-hmm. so doing, the more positive light of that, of course, is stepping into the type of person that I always dreamed of being. Mm-hmm. So like when I was little, I was overweight, out of shape, shy, didn't really uh, believe in myself to accomplish things. So I didn't, I didn't envision a future for myself. Or I didn't know what it was. And mm-hmm. I remember as, as a, a young teenager watching these shows and, and seeing these characters and, and actually, I remember a couple of moments of wishing that I could be them, like actively being like, I would give up everything if I could just be this person. And now going through life, knowing that I don't want to be anyone else because who I'm becoming is exactly who I want to be. Wow. That's awesome. You rock, Alex. Well, that was a fantastic <laughs> question if you had to pick one. Thank you. Yes. I might have I, that to... took me a minute, but I got, I got that one. Well, I, I, enjoy, I might have to, maybe at the end of every interview I do now, I'll give people one question to ask me. Yeah. Don't tell them though. That it has to be like, be on the spot. Spot. okay. Yeah. Now, if they listen to this, they're going to know. 